Hello and welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode comes from our little women's screening and Q&A, where the brilliant Greta Gerwig was in conversation with Mike Lee. Greta spoke to Mike, coincidentally one of her favourite directors, about the rhythm of her storytelling, her decision to shoot on film, and what she's learned since Ladybird. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. We hope you enjoy the podcast. This is a wonderful, uh, exhilarating, exciting, life-affirming film which you've just seen. And um, I'm Mike Lee, as you might know, and um, I'm only here because our esteemed director asked for me to be here, which is one of the most eccentric things I've ever heard of, and her only mistake, as far as I can. Um, uh, and uh, we've got rather limited time because there is another Q&A. Um, I think you have another nine Q&As lined up before breakfast tomorrow morning. So um, I won't drag you through you know, why you adapted it and all of that stuff because apart from anything else, you're no doubt sick of talking about that. Um, and we are, for the most part, I think, directors here. So... Um, I'll jump straight in and ask you a sort of double question, which I think is really central to what you've achieved in the film, which is, it's a remarkable uh, piece of directing of actors. It's um, a remarkable, uh, remarkable ensemble job. And you've managed to get not just brilliant individual performances, but a great you know, group stuff on the go. And at the same time, the other thing you've achieved, which I, I gather is something that you wanted to, is that it has, it's a really solid period film, but it has a, a modernity, a contemporary, um, uh, you've achieved something contemporary in it. So what I'm kind of asking, what I ask you to talk about is a combination of how you achieved what you've, how you worked with the actors and how you've got that together, and how you've, on top of that, got, them, got this very strong period sense, but at the same time, it breathes in a very modern kind of way. Well, um, to begin with, I, can I just say um, to everyone here, thank you for being here. Also, um, uh, I might cry. Mike Lee's my favorite director. He's my favorite <laughs> writer-director. I've been saying your name in interviews for about 15 years. And um, I just want to thank you for everything you've made. And I'm, so, I'm going to I'm gonna try to do my best to answer these questions, but this is a big moment. And anyway, thank you. Um, 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 so, uh, well, um, to the actors, um, I mean, f for me, uh, the the sort of um, the process of writing the script and the process of directing are very are very l linked. And in terms of the way I heard all of the dialogue being said, it was always a cacophony of sorts, and it was always this overlapping and everyone talking all at once. And actually, um, 
I st uh, stole the formatting of that from another um, one of your great British writers was Carol Churchill because she would always write with the dashes, and I found that that was the it, it's the easiest way to kind of give real signposts for how I wanted it to go, and um, it was that kind of everyone talking at once quality that I was um, that I was looking for, so that each character could be individually have their own have their own world and have their own arc, but also that there was a collective, so that you could have the sort of eight people at once going, and it was and it was all tracking. Um, I was able to have rehearsal. I was able to have a, just a couple of weeks, but it was incredibly useful. I wish we'd had more rehearsal because I like I like that process, and it's the time when anything's everything's open before um, the you know the, the clock is really the um, dictator on the set, and you know every minute you spend doing one thing is a minute you don't spend doing something else. So I find that rehearsal is the place where I can kind of expand. And I wanted, um, I wanted the language to be very memorized in a very uh, sort of muscle memory kind of way. I never wanted them to be reaching for the line. I always wanted it to be right there. So that that was that was all done during rehearsal, and I was very. I mean, they're all they're all just tremendously gifted actors. Um, but it was getting them kind of loose and uh, unembarrassed in front of each other that I was I was trying for. I remember I saw a Q and A with the Darden brothers, and they said something like, "They do rehearsal because it takes two weeks for people to not be embarrassed of their bodies," which I think is true. It's a kind of thing with actors, and then and then in terms of the the period of it um so can i just yes just before yes. you go on to the yes. other second part of yeah. the question just about that mm. i mean am i right in thinking that it's that what you've rehearsed uh, reached a point where it's very precise that it's not loose or in any sense improvised it's actually very very tightly you've you've directed it very precisely is that correct that's correct yeah can you talk about that a bit yeah, well, I don't like, um, it's funny because I did a lot of improvisation as an actor in a certain period of my, my life, but I found that improvisation, while useful, uh, to me, I found it limiting at a certain point, as both as an actor and as a director, because I think, um, I think people have a lot of self-defense mechanisms that kick in, and you don't want to go farther than you feel safe going. But if you have text that forces you to go farther as an actor, or a director, you'll do it. Um, so I like very set text. I like text in um, in specific rhythm. And I, I almost have this sense of when I'm directing, I, I know it when I hear it. I am looking at the framing and the blocking, but I'm also just uh, a big part of it's just listening. Um, so I, I don't I don't do any improvisation, and I don't like to change things. So in your two weeks rehearsal, which is very, very short. For That's me. so that short, was, yes. That's ridiculous, really. I know. But you... Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, <laughs> uh, th th um, but you, you really hammered it. Yes, yeah. that's right. And, and I do... I mean, there are a couple things... I mean, I do like actors bringing their whole self to it, and I liked... Um, I give people... Ahead of time, I give them lots of research or things that I think might help them. And if they come with ideas, we, we do vet them, and there's, there are some things that get sort of altered slightly, but um, in terms of the rhythm of the language, it's just if it's, if it doesn't, if it's not right, I, I, like some things, I can't, I can't move on, so. 
So go on to the period. Okay, so the period, um, so the period piece part of it, um, it w yeah, it, it was sort of that straddling of, um, I, I didn't want it to be anachronistic uh, just to be so, just to be modern, but I also didn't want to, I didn't want that feeling of, uh, sometimes with period pieces, it can feel quite nailed to the floor. Like you can feel every light that was set and you can feel everything being sort of heavy. Everything feels heavy. And I think um, I looked at a lot of French New Wave films tended of period pieces, the Truffaut films, they tend to feel not period even though they are. And I think some of that is has to do with the cutting. Um, it's just kind of irreverent, and it's not. It doesn't worry too much if anything's matching. And it's a particular kind of energy, isn't it? It has a kind of energy, and it has a sort of lived-in quality. And I have to say, I'm not just saying this because you're here. <laughs> um, although I could say lots of things just because you're here. But um, I, I no, I, I, I mean um, the the it was the the in Mr. Turner there was this. Um, lived in quality to all the characters. And I, I think what especially in Mr. Turner is that feels not like a period piece that I always loved is um, weirdness of people, um, which is not what you think of when you think of a period piece because you think of everything as being quite performative in terms of manners. And I felt like the deep strangeness of these people is what makes it you feel mean the, alive. The, the uniqueness of, of, yes, of us yes, all. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The uniqueness, but like, I think once you put people in period clothes and say this is important, it often distances it from humanity in some way. And um, um, the scene where they're watching um, the, the violinist play, it's just, you can feel them all just living in their bodies, which I think is w what I wanted to achieve with this in some ways, that feeling of, embodiedness, which I think is sometimes distanced in period pieces. Did you talk, um, did you say things like what you just said to the actors? Oh yeah, I made them watch Mr. Turner. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I made them watch um, Heaven's Gate, uh, the Michael Cimino film. Mm -hmm. I made them watch uh, Two English Girls and Jules and Jim. Mm -hmm. and, um, I did just, just that sense of, I think you have the stereotype of what the, the, these things are based on films, I think. It's almost like you get the cliche from the film and then you reproduce it in another film. Um, but then, and we also shared a, a costume designer, Jacqueline Duran, who um, I, I worked with her here in, in London at Sands, uh, which was incredibly useful and so helpful. There's a woman there, Christine, who I just adore, and she brought out all this research because I didn't want them to wear hoop skirts, and I didn't want them to wear bonnets, and I didn't want them to wear corsets, which were all things people wore, but I wanted evidence that... Why didn't you want them to wear this? Because I wanted them to be the sort of 1860s equivalent of a hippie family, and I wanted the rest of the world to be that and them to not be that. And that was, so it was, So in any case, we found evidence in, in um, mostly paintings, really, Winslow Homer paintings, um, because in photographs, everything is quite static and quite um, formal. And then in paintings, there was a sense of being able to capture some kind of real life. And then also um, the photographs of Julia Margaret Cameron, uh, just because it's these girls with messy hair and kind of, uh, they looked they looked like they could have been taken yesterday. Well, let's open it to questions from you. 
Yes. Apparently, there's a microphone lurking about. Congratulations, Greta. It's absolutely stunning, the film. Um, and congratulations on having a son as well earlier in the year. Um, as a fellow mum, I just wondered what your thoughts were when it comes to the industry and um, parents working within the industry uh, and if your sets or any future sets will sort of have any flexible working or if there's access to childcare and that sort of thing. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, and uh, fellow mom, I'm... Um, I'm also brand. I'm brand new at this. My son's eight months old, so um, I, w I was. Uh, he was. He was there. There in, during filming, and then um, I. I did a rough cut, and then I had. I had the baby, and then I um, kept editing, and um, and I think. I, I don't know yet. I mean, is the answer because I, it's it's not something I've had to do just yet. It's early, early days, isn't it? Yes, it's early days. And but I will say I I found I've shot films I've actually never shot a film here but I, I have shot a film in um in Paris and I find that um, actually French hours are much more conducive to working parents and um, some of the crew members would able would be able to like drop their kids off at school and then come to set or vice versa and um, it's it's something that as I discover the limitations of it. But I don't know, I think hours, I don't know if hours in the UK are the same, but in America, hours of film sets are like, it's like going on a submarine mission. I mean, it's, f some, it's 12, 14 hours a day, every day. Um, so I don't really know how that's gonna work out. Um, not well, <laughs> I think. Let's take another question. <laughs> uh, congratulations, it was a wonderful film. Uh, I wanted to ask you, because since you are an actress, are you interested still in the future uh, to continue acting and directing, maybe even acting in your own film? So how... Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm, I, ha I have no interest in directing myself in a film at all. I, I, I've written things that I've then other people have directed me. I've co-written with Noah Baumbach and then he's directed me. But um, I've never... Why, why don't you want to direct yourself? Uh, because I think from, for me, um, it, it re acting requires... Uh, my experience of acting is, is, is total tr trust in giving a performance to another person. And I, I, and I don't... And, I, and, I, and it requires a certain amount of like lack of self-consciousness. And I think when you're direct, or when I'm directing, I'm always thinking about what what cuts together, how can I cut from here to there? And I don't, and as an actor, I don't want to think about that. Um, and then, but as, but I am going to act in a play, actually, in New York. I'm going to be in, um, I'm going to be in Three Sisters this spring. <laughs> <laughs> which, which sister? Masha. Yikes. That'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> It's gonna be a. It's gonna be. A, it'll be leveling anyway. Um. Another question. Um, yes. No. It's yes. It's a beautiful room, and it's and it's such an enjoyable thing. And it seems like you're the type of person who really kind of enjoys the process of of the film, and that seems to bleed through. So, and imagine that losing something would then be quite emotional for you. So, I'm I'm just asking this: Were there any? darlings that you had to kill on this movie and you know who helped you throw it in front of the bus uh, <laughs> yeah um, no I, there were some things i had to kill i mean there was a there was a slightly different structure that i was in love with for a very long time i, I mean it was always essentially the structure but i had a credit sequence that i just loved 
And um, um, and I and I, it took me sitting with an audience um, in Chicago when I realized they don't know what the hell is happening. Like I, I love it, and they don't know. And um, is that a test screening? Yeah, it was. It was a test screening, but it was um, it was one that was done sort of on my own. It wasn't with it wasn't with anyone looking over my shoulder. It was just for me. Um, I don't find those useful in general, but I do find it useful to sit with an audience because sometimes you can feel. W you can f feel them sink in or out, and it can be useful to feel that with people. So that that helped me. I realized that the thing I was trying to achieve was better achieved another way. What 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 was the sequence? The secret. The, th the sequence that. You oh, the sequence was actually an inner. It was a. It was this. It was a credit sequence where I intercut between each one of them in their older life. At the end or the beginning. At the. Of it, the film. It was at the beginning of the film. Each one in their older life with. Um, them doing the play as as girls and um, and it was very clear to me what was happening. But then I realized it was just a much cleaner entrance point to have to meet each one in their separate life and then bring them all together. But I think um, it was just it was something that I I held on to until the very end. So you shot it. Yes, and I've and then I used the play later. So I used every I used everything that was going to be in it. I just decided to stay in one. Time Why didn't period. it work? It was messy. It was messier than it needed to be. It should have. Looking back, I should have shot it slightly differently. Um, but I, you know, you don't know the things you do wrong until you're in the edit, and then you realize it's not going to work. Um, but I held on to it for a long time. I also, there was a piece of music that Alexandre wrote for it, which I really loved. Um, but I, ultimately, I just, as soon as I saw the beginning, just the way it was, I thought, no, this is this is the right way. That was one thing. There was also this, I just had, um, there was these beautiful shots of the all the kids in boats, which I just could never find a place for. I was always like, but maybe we could go to the boat memory. <laughs> Nobody cared. It was so boring. <laughs> Can you put your hand up if you've never experienced anything like that, please? <laughs> See? <laughs> Who's next? Um, I wanted to ask when you uh, came to the structure in your writing process and then when you were attacking it as a director, decisions you knew you had to make to make that structure work for an audience? Sure. Uh, the... Really, the structure um, came to me very early in the writing. Um, it, it it came out of the fact that this was a book that I I loved when I was growing up, um, and I loved Joe March, and um, I loved these girls, and um, and then yeah, when I read it as an adult, it just seemed um, I felt like I'd never read it before. It felt it felt incredibly modern and pressing and urgent and. And a lot of the ideas in it were, were ideas that were very interesting to me. Um, and I think in a way, I, I set out to do the structure like this because, because in a way I was mirroring my own experience of rereading it. Is that I'm, I'm both looking back at, the, at what the book is and also looking back at myself as the reader of the book. And I think um, it kind of had this quality of... Uh, walking with my younger self. And then the second reason was because 
The book was initially published in two parts. There was a, the, the first half, which is sort of what I think the collective memory of Little Women is, which is girlhood. And then the second half is, is skips several years, and they're older. And um, that's where I begin it. But I found that um, there was a, a sort of the, the first book and the second book grafted onto each other in, a, in an interesting way. They seem to be speaking to each other. And the things that worked out in a certain way in childhood would not in adulthood. The biggest one being um, Beth, that in childhood you get sick and you get better. And then in adulthood you get sick and then you, you, you don't. Um, and I thought that suddenly layering them cut through what could be saccharin because it had the ache of being gone. What was the other part of that question? Ah, yes. Um, well, a lot of that was with the design elements, uh, with Jacqueline and with Jess, um, things like, things that were both, uh, you know, subtle, like um, each girl has a color, like, and, and if in child, in girlhood, Sersha was wearing a bright red dress that was a whole thing, and then in adulthood, it would just be a scarf. Um, little sort of signifiers. And then also with Alexandre, with the music, that there would be a theme that would be lush and beautiful. Um, like, for example, the, on the beach, um, there's this gorgeous theme that plays, and it's a full orchestra. And then it cuts to later, when it's just Joe and, and Beth on the beach, and it's just the skeleton of what it had been. And um, I mean, it, I knew I was going to do all of this stuff, but it, it was... You know, it was, it was a leap of faith. But I, I always sort of enjoy the f feeling when I'm sitting in a movie or in theater, uh, uh, that slight feeling of, where are we? Like, I, I like that when we cut to something and there's like a slight delay in um, knowing exactly where everything is because I, I find that it, it, it engages me in another way, which so I, I set out to make a movie like that. Could you just say, um, your previous film, which most of us will have seen and enjoyed, um, what for you um, has been the journey of development? Obviously, the different kinds of films and the different subject matter in a different period and all that, but for you, the journey of one to the other, can you just talk about that, the progression? Well, uh, I... I had actually written the first couple of drafts of this film before I directed Lady Bird. Oh, really? So I was a few drafts in, then I directed Lady Bird, and then, um, and then I was able to, then, th then it came through, oh, you know, now, now, now they, you can direct this film. And then it went away, and I, and I worked on the drafts again because I had to wrap my head around making the whole thing. Um, I would say that between the two films, um, I can say this and not feel like I'm bragging because I think if you ever everyone here is director, I'm sure you know what I mean. Um, there, I think the growth between the first film and the second film is it, it doesn't mean the film's better or works better. It's just that the the your knowledge of what you're doing it grows exponentially because there's so much you don't know on the first one. Which someone gave me a great piece of advice was you only get to not know what you're doing once, so don't miss it because you'll never be that that brave again and. Um, I think that's true, but I will say between Little Women and, or between Lady Bird and then Little Women, I think I got better at two distinct things. The first thing is I, I got, I became a better, I became better at blocking, which I, blocking, 
blocking the actors in space. And then uh, sort of concurrent with that, I got better at using the camera. Because I, I was so panicked that I would make something that didn't um, make any sense or cut together. I, I, I deliberately made everything about Lady Bird static. I kept the camera completely locked off because I was so scared that something, you know, I, it was like almost like I could see the movie in a series of prosceniums because I had some sense of theater. <laughs> so I was like, as long as I keep the camera like that, it'll be fine. And, um, but I was so, t t I didn't want to do anything that would disrupt that. So in this movie, I wanted to use the camera, I knew I wanted the camera to be much more of a dancer, um, but that I didn't also didn't want it on Steadicam. I wanted it to be on a dolly. I wanted it to be um, sort of precise shots that felt uh, like they had movement in them. And um, and that required me to let go of some just um, superficial control of what every shot was. Of course, I, I don't know if this is right, but I would suggest perhaps as well that... Um, <coughs> Uh, Little Women invites, in fact, demands a flowing uh, a fluidity, a, mo a, a, a movement, whereas Lady Bird actually, in a certain sense, is a series of still moments. So that's kind of organic, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, I, and I did think the way I sort of thought of Lady Bird was with the cinematography was was uh, almost like a tableaus, like triptychs, like something you'd see on church yeah. walls. Um, that like this scene and now that scene and this scene and um, this one. It was sort of this this dance, this sort of like past and present dancing together. I did keep the camera a lot more still and locked off in the in the present. I kept it a little farther away from the subjects, but. Um, it, in any case, I think moving people in space is something that I think you only get better at by doing it. And it's, it's something I'm, you know, I'll keep, I'll keep trying to get better at. You will get better <laughs> at it. Um, next, yes. Um, thank you so much for that film. It was beautiful. Um, I also read the book when I was at school. So I was, I think, about 13 or 14. And I remember it so well. And I related to it just as a lovely story about a family. And I'm one of five sisters, so I, I completely got it. And it felt like an Asian family. So I completely understood what that book was about at the time. And I think you've represented some of the scenes so beautifully, just the way I remember them on the page. So you brought them to life. But I think the contemporary side that you've s sort of somehow magically woven into it has really kind of got to me because it's, it's so contemporary, and it made me realize just how much women were struggling at the time, and just to be independent, but also to be taken seriously. Mm. And I guess my question is, because it felt so contemporary, I kind of really felt it was like our industry right now. And I just wonder, I mean, obviously we've come a long way, and here you are, wonderfully sitting here as a female director, but what would, what would you say it is really like for women to break into this industry even today? Well, um, I, I um, thank you for all of those nice things. And also, um, that's I, it's so wonderful to think of you with your five sisters and reading this book and knowing what it, what it feels like. Um, uh, well, I, you know, 
I, I in a way I always thought of um, well the scenes with Joe and her publisher Dashwood um, th th those I took largely just directly from the book and I thought that they were so uh, I I felt like when I was reading them it felt like I could it could have been me yesterday talking to a studio head or someone this this sort of um, they're saying morals don't sell nowadays. Um, you know, shorten it, make it spicy. I mean, I added the line: if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married or dead by the end. But, um, but I've it was it was contained in it, and it and it's you know, in some way. I mean, it's a it's a movie about a lot of things, but in some ways, it is a movie about making movies. It's certainly a m movie about making narrative and um, what are the requirements of narrative. Um, I mean, my experience of being a, a woman in the film industry is I've, I've had a very lucky path. I've met a lot of people who have championed what I want to do. I mean, this film in particular, um, my producer who's here, Amy Pascal, who I was very, um, it was just a blessed thing that we, 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 we met and that we worked together. And it felt... It felt like we stole the movie from the world. I mean, nobody really wants to make a period piece about four sisters from 150 years ago. It's not that seems like not a good idea. Um, and she sort of champ she championed it every step of the way. So I had an ally, um, and I think I've been very lucky in getting allies. Um, I don't. I only have my path, and my path has been very. Here's another thing, and because I hesitate to make proclamations, making films in general is really hard. And my partner is a filmmaker, and I, you know, he struggles to get films made as well. And um, we've both been able to do it, but um, I think it's hard no matter who you are. Um, it's an added thing if you're if you're a, a woman. Um, uh, there's an there's an added layer, but I do think that at this moment. There are a lot of very eager producers uh, to work on women's films, and I think they're eager both because they they want to make women's films and also because they make money, which is at its core a bit of what this is about is commerce. And I think with this movie, with Louisa May Alcott's life, this sort of art and commerce together is very much what she. Why, why, why she wrote what she wrote, and how she wrote what she wrote, and I think as a filmmaker who is beholden to commerce, it's it's part of my dialogue with that idea. I don't know if that answers it, but those are just a bunch of thoughts. Good answer, though. <laughs> Next, uh, hey, Greta, I just uh, I'm right at the back over here, the back row. Hey. Uh, I just want to say I think the film, the film was uh, beautiful, just the, the writing, the acting. But one thing that really struck me was like, the colour um, and how it flowed between past and present. And I just wanted to ask you, what, um, how did, was that something you planned, obviously, before? But like, how much was that? What did you think about during the writing process? Or, or was it kind of something that came kind of later on? Um, yes, I th thank you. Um, I, uh, I had a wonderful D uh, DP um, who's... Uh, French, this uh, York Lasso. He he works with um, he works with Luca Guadagnino a lot. Uh, he he shot the film I Am Love, which I thought was sort of extraordinarily beautiful. And he also works with Olivier Assayas a lot. And he's also worked with Claire Denis. He, a lot of my 
favorite filmmakers, but he, um, he and I, uh, we shot on film, and we shot on film in part because it was, um, it's a, it, as they say, it falls off the truck. It was already pretty close to how we wanted it to look. And it was that photochemical process is something, it's close enough to what they had in the 1860s that it felt like it was connected to the time. Um, we knew, I did think about the color palette moving between um, the two time periods a lot, but I and I and we did things in the image um, on camera, in camera, uh, with filters. But I didn't want to bake it in, in too much into the image that couldn't be undone because I wasn't positive how everything would go together, especially when you're going from low light scenes to daylight scenes. So a filter that does something in an interior with candles does something completely different outside, and and managing all of that, I didn't want to paint myself into a total corner. Um, so we did some of it to give the, the past or slash fiction that golden glow. Um, and then uh, we used a lot of Varicon filters for the, uh, for the present. But uh, then it was, a, it was a sort of journey with the um, colorist who was Joe Goller in New York um, and kind of fine tuning that. But it is a it's. I mean, I'm, you've worked with candles. I mean, it's it. It. <laughs> uh, you, you sort of. You were always. A, I were always like looking at Barry Lyndon, and I'm like, how come their candles are white and ours are bright orange? Um, but apparently, they don't even make that that blends anymore. You can't get it. Um, so, you. I don't know. You spend a lot of time color correcting candles. Um, we have time apparently for one more question. Yes. Okay. Sorry, I, I loved the film. I thought the film was amazing. And um, I really liked the score. The score was really, it was like mixed really loud and it was really confident, which is quite unusual for um, a period film um, made now. And um, I just wanted to know what your process and your, like your concept for that was. Uh, uh, thank you. Um, well, I always, um, I, I love the score too. I, I always thought of it as a, um, so I always thought of it as a musical without singing in a way. I, I knew it was going to be a lot of music from the beginning, and I, I had Alexander as the composer before we started shooting, although he didn't write any music um, ahead of time. He wrote a couple of sketches on the piano, which I had to listen to, but um, we cut the whole movie without using his... He, he watched it with um, no score, which was sort of ter terrifying. Um, and then he 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 built. I mean, it's ninety minutes of music. It's a ton of music. And um, I just I always knew I wanted it quite forward, in 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 the mix. And um, uh, I love the process of working with a composer because at that point you're the cut is pretty much the cut you're cer you're you're pretty certain of it and it's something i can't do i can't write music but um i think maybe because of the musicality of the language i it's 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 the biggest other character for me that's the last thing to come in and he just wrote this extraordinary score he i mean it, when he sends stuff it was it was sort of exactly what I loved. I mean, I love the I love the sort of romantic scores of like uh, George Delarue or some of my favorite scores, and and it and that scores that aren't afraid of melody. I mean, if you're gonna do melody, that you like kind of go for it. And um, 
And he has this way of being both emotional and intellectual as a composer, which is exactly what I was hoping that the movie would be. Um, but I'm, I was pleased. His, he works with his wife, Sol Ray, who's his producer and who's um, working on it when, when the orchestra is recording. And I saw her in Paris, um, and she, she said she was very impressed that I mixed it strong and forward, which I was, it made me, I was it's like the coolest I've ever felt other than tonight. <laughs> Isn't one of the best bits of filmmaking, I certainly find this, um, the day or days when the music's recorded? Oh you God. just show up, and that's when it comes together, isn't it? It's a, and, and it's also, I feel like, it's, it's so emotional for me because every single person in the room who's a musician, uh, what they do represents their life's work, that they've been working on this instrument and this, this craft for their whole life, and they're coming to do two or three days recording your score that's then going to be part of this movie. There's something about the the sheer number of hours represented by the people there mm. that just kind of bowls me over. Um, I'm not going to ask you what your next film is because I hate being asked that, and I'm therefore not going to ask you. Okay. But we wish you luck with Three Sisters. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Which is a safe thing to say to you. Okay. And, um, we absolutely congratulate you on this brilliant thank film. And thank you for being um, here. You know, I, I'm very happy to be here, but don't, oh, don't, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, and we hope that the film does very well. And thank you very much. And thank you. Thank you.